magazine or book. There's books for him and books for her and books for you and me. You'll find good books for everyone at your library. What up, what up, or oh, what it is, hope, or oh, what's up? I'm playing. Let me stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Lauren's Library. I am your host, Lauren, and I'm here to ramble about book stuff. So grab a seat, grab some coffee, grab your little blanket, grab the steering wheel if you're driving, because I will not be paying for your accident. But get comfortable, because we have a lot to talk about. And if you're new here, a special hello to you. Thanks for popping in. Tell a friend to tell a friend to watch. I'm sorry, not watch. Listen to Lawrence Library. Give me a little rate, little review. You know, let me know it's real. And now that you're here, you can't leave. Sorry. I mean, those are the rules. I, I don't make them up. So in episode 10 of Lawrence Library, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff here. I have a cancer catfish story for you. I have a um, review bombing that I want to talk about. And then a short story written by me called Who Saves the Hero? So take a few seconds to gather yourself. I'll wait for you, I promise. Okay, so boom, cancer catfish, right? Honestly, before I even get started, I just want to bring up the fact that faking cancer is just a really low move. Like faking any illness is low, but cancer, like come on. Like, how do you sleep at night? Me, myself, I'm too soft for that stuff. Like, as soon as someone questioned me, I would crack under the pressure. Even if it was like a simple question, like, hey, how are you? Or like, what color is your shirt? I would break and confess everything. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please don't be mad at me. I lied to you. I'm so sorry. Clearly, this is why I'm the one reporting about it and not the one doing it. Because I wouldn't get very far. But anyway, Maggie Robbins, right? She's a best-selling author in the sapphic genre, and she's allegedly the latest to add to the list of authors who are out here doing the absolute most, because there are a lot of y'all. Like, let's be honest. So grab your butts, friends, because this one is a doozy. And I think I say that a lot, but this one really, it, this one was heavy. Like, after researching it a bit, my own head is spinning. Like, I even reached out to the one of the girls that was involved, and I was still kind of confused after a while, because like, what in the world? <laughs> So before I get into the story, a quick lesson for you, just in case you're like me and have no idea what sapphic meant. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I really didn't know. Don't judge me. Judge your mama. The sapphic genre is a genre that includes lesbians, bisexual women, and you know, non-binary people that align with that term. Little lesson for you. I'm learning you. So anyway, Maggie Robbins, right? I do believe her actual name is Claire Chefwick. I feel like I probably butchered that, but we're just going to go with it. I'm going to call her Maggie for the sake of the story though. And another author by uh, the name of Melissa Terzi, I'm probably mispronouncing that as well. Um, shout out to her because I actually contacted her and was able to talk to her and get her side of the story. So that was pretty dope. Yeah. So she was actually involved in this story as well. And you'll get to know that as I'm, as I'm talking about it, but she was originally friends with Maggie back in early 2021, right? Their conversations were mostly friendly and mostly pertaining to book information like covers, publishing, marketing, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah. Things were all sunshine and sprinkles until 
around September 2021 when Melissa received a DM from Maggie on Twitter because Melissa had actually reached out to her first a few weeks prior just to check in and see how she was doing because Maggie had been complaining about having some pretty bad migraines. And in the DM Melissa received when, you know, Maggie finally got around to answering her, she explained that she had been having incredibly bad migraines because she was sick and was diagnosed with von Hippolindau disease. And I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong too, but we're going to call it VHL for the sake of my terrible pronunciation skills. Uh, the disease is rare. Okay. It's a genetic multi-system disorder in which non-cancerous tumors grow in certain parts of the body. Um, uh, hemogeoblastomas, <laughs> AKA benign tumors can develop in the brain, spinal cord, and retinas of the eyes. Right? So allegedly Maggie confessed all this to Melissa saying that the tumors were causing her migraines and she was also at a very high risk of developing diabetes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll be serious. She was at risk of developing diabetes and eventually losing her sight. Melissa was devastated for her friend. And I mean, rightfully so. So fast forward to February of 2022, right? Maggie has now become more active on her Twitter account. She shared her diagnosis with everyone with the addition of a terminal pancreatic tumor. So she, you know, had the other issues that she was having that she told Melissa about. And then now she allegedly has a pancreatic tumor as well that is terminal. So she's supposedly going to die from it. Authors, readers, and friends in the Sapphic community were deeply saddened by the news. A few got together to begin a GoFundMe for Maggie to help her with increasing medical bills. Because stuff like that is not cheap. Okay? It ain't cheap. So they were helping her out with the medical bills with the GoFundMe. And there was talk of getting her into some clinical trials to see if they could kind of help out with the costs. And then sadly, news arrived that poor Maggie had lost sight in one of her eyeballs. Information was pouring in a little faster than it could really be absorbed, but no one thought for a second to question any of it. I mean, why would they? Because what kind of person would lie about something like that, right? On March 14th of 2022, a tweet from Maggie's account informed everyone that Maggie had allegedly suffered several episodes of arrhythmias and was now unresponsive. So Melissa was like devastated by this and she invited one of her mutual friends over because they lived near each other. And you know, they supported each other while they waited for news of Maggie's health. Then bloop! As if nothing happened, Maggie popped back up and started tweeting to her readers. People were confused, clearly but happy to see that she was doing well. But by this point, the seeds of doubt had already been planted, right? Melissa started digging, hoping to find some answers to her growing questions. And Maggie had sent her an email from her personal account, once under the name Claire Chefwick that I told her about at the beginning. So that's where Melissa decided to start. She searched on Facebook and found the girl's personal page with a picture from a few days prior before, you know, they started receiving the tweets about the girl being unresponsive. So a few days prior. And Maggie slash Claire looked perfectly healthy, right? Assuming it was an old picture, Melissa continued to dig. And then that's when things really started to unravel. The math was really starting to not math. Melissa was confused and upset, rightfully so. So she had a background test done. Turns out Maggie slash Claire had told several other authors that she was married before and had fled the home due to an abusive husband. And when she posted an image with a man, someone questioned it and asked her who it was. She said it was her brother. Turns out it was her husband and the stories of abuse were actually false. Melissa decided to reach out to Maggie to see if she can get an explanation. Maggie said she was doing better and was currently in a hospital in Florida, but Melissa was not able to contact the hospital. Maggie told her that she couldn't contact the hospital because she was there under an assumed name because her estranged mother would find her. She had told Melissa previously that her mother had died. 
So I feel like that would be a really long distance phone call trying to find somebody from the grave. But anyway, you still follow me? Okay, let's do a quick summary of everything we've learned so far, just so we don't get too lost. We have Maggie slash Claire, who is a best-selling sapphic author, telling everyone she has a whole host of medical issues, right? She has a GoFundMe that has been started in her honor by some of her friends. But after looking a little closer at her story, the math ain't math. So now Melissa is truly suspicious and is questioning Maggie pretty hard. Maggie was like, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but she was like, why are you asking all these questions, making statements and assuming, you know, and uploaded a video showing her in a hospital gown, wearing a mask with the EKG stickers on. Melissa asked one of her doctor friends about it. And according to said doctor friend, it was clear that Maggie was in the ER, not in a bed that she's supposedly been in for days. So most likely when she realized that the jig might be up, she went to the hospital complaining of chest pains and breathing difficulties, you know, cause then they gonna put you in a bed, put you with the EKG stickers on. And that explains why she had all that stuff. Melissa then asked her about her latest scans and tests just for proof. And Maggie allegedly sent her a scan that could easily be found on Google using the reverse image search. Melissa pulled them up online via the site and saw that Maggie had doctored them to look like it was her own medical information. One was from a study done in Saudi Arabia and the other was from a medical journal on VHL. So if you've gotten this far into the sordid tale and you're like me and wondering what happened to the GoFundMe, well, let's circle back to that. Because by this time, the campaign had raised 16,000 buckaroonies. Melissa sent her a message, and I'm also paraphrasing on this one, but she sent her a message like, okay, is you lying or is you fibbing? And Maggie was like, as soon as I get home, we can chit chat, you know? Which is a wild response to somebody that just accused you of like medical fraud, but hey, okay, sure. Anyway, then Maggie fiance's sister reached out to Melissa. And I bet you're wondering why I said fiance instead of husband, right? Well, that's because Maggie had a fiance as well. And this poor fiance was completely in the dark about everything because she wasn't on Twitter. So she didn't see any of this unfolding. She didn't know that her girlfriend was supposedly, you know, dead one minute and then alive the next tweeting. So her sister was suspicious, but the fiance didn't see any of it. Like I said, cause she wasn't on Twitter and she didn't see any of the post. And she was under the impression that Maggie only had a few months left to live but they couldn't live together because Maggie traveled for work, which is wild to me in itself. Because if you are a few months from dying, how are you still traveling for work? Make that make sense. Hmm? But anyway, I digress. So in a really uncomfortable Zoom meeting, Melissa filled the fiance in on everything her girl Maggie was doing, right? Ooh. So once Maggie was outed, she deleted all of her socials and disappeared aside from a really odd thread on a throwaway Twitter account saying that she had was a horrible person and had decided wasn't like medically diagnosed or anything, but decided, because this was her word choice, that she had Munchausen. Which if you remember from previous episodes, that is a condition where a person makes himself sick or exaggerates their symptoms in order to garner sympathy. Maggie declared Munchausen, you know, she just yelled it out into the streets, screamed it into the void, I guess, and allegedly paid back the money she scammed people out of, avoided any legal consequences, and then dipped. And that was the last we heard of her, right? Wrong. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll be serious. I promise. Okay. So Maggie, Claire, whoever you want to call her is now back under the name Liza Snow, which is not to be confused with Lisa Snow, who is another author and unrelated to this whole mess. Maggie is allegedly using the Liza Snow name 
to go back to publishing books like nothing happened. You recently published a book called Obedience and is on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, just pretending that none of this mess occurred. So quick summary, because this is a super wild tale. Maggie is a sapphic author who told all of her online friends and long distance fiance that she was dying of a rare cancer and had got blind in one eye. They banded together to raise money to help her growing medical bills and then come to find out Maggie was lying the entire time. And is actually already married to another person and living her best life cancer free. So after sitting through all of that, again, I ask, what store are y'all getting this audacity from? because the supply is in abundance. Let me tell you, the shipment has come in and I would like some. I'd only use it for good though. Not to do any of this mess that y'all be out here doing with it. I don't know if the majority of TikTok has found out about this yet because I haven't really seen that many videos about it, but when they do, they may start review bombing her stuff. And what is a review bomb, you ask? Take a second to recenter your mind after that whole story and then I'll explain. So what is a review bomb, right? Essentially, it is when a bunch of people start giving a book one star without having read the book in order to tank its rating. But it, I mean, it does go a little bit deeper than that. And <laughs> I have to laugh when I mention this because I was recently accused of review, bomb review bombing that book, Everything's Fine by Cecilia Rabes. And for the record, there's a difference between review bombing a book because you don't like the author as a person or you don't like something they did and giving the book one star because you genuinely did not mess with it. You did not F with it. You did not like it. I genuinely did not enjoy that book. And I gave my reasons why. I said what I said. Judge your mama. Don't judge me. We stand on our opinions around these parts, even if others do not agree. Okay, great. So anyway, scammers and cyber stalkers are using the Goodreads platform more and more often to extort authors with threats of tanking their work, right? Frequently, authors from marginalized communities who speak out on controversial topics are the ones targeted. Indie authors who aren't well-connected are often the ones with their butt cheeks clenched because the review bombers come after them with a vengeance. It makes sense. I mean, they would most likely be the ones to succumb to the demands of the scammers since their reach is much smaller. Negative reviews can hurt them a lot more than traditionally published authors. So since its launch back in 2007, Goodreads has quickly evolved into the world's largest online book community with over 120 million members worldwide. If you've been up there, the old ladies on that site take it serious. Do you hear me? Serious. They formed alliances, and if you go against one of their treasured people, one of their trusted reviewers, one of their favorite folks, you will be shunned, and they will wave their knitting needles at you angrily. It's wild to see. So when it comes to books, Goodreads is pretty much right up there next to Facebook in terms of popularity, with only a few competitors like Storygraph, which I actually like a little better because of the way it categorizes your reading habits. But yeah, the Goodreads influence just continues to keep growing. So when a coordinated group or even a few people with multiple accounts start inundating a book with negative reviews, it can absolutely tank that book's rating. What seems to be the popular course of action lately is a lot of book talkers and bookstagrammers get together and review bomb certain books without having read them based on the author's actions or the book's controversial content. Let's take Everything's Fine, for example. That book which I honestly would have saw it doing better. Like I believe it would have done a whole lot better had they not tried to market it as a romance. That book has some 
some controversial subject matter, right? It was talked about on TikTok before its release. And then a whole bunch of people went and rated it one star before even having read the book. Before the art copies even came out. And before the book was even published. I think it had like a two or three rating on Goodreads before it even hit the shelves like last month. Which, I mean, let's be clear. That's a trash thing to do. If you give the book one star because you read it and actually didn't like it, you know, like me, that's one thing. But giving a book one star because it's a popular thing to do when you haven't even cracked it open or read the first page, like that's the work of a douche canoe, like at the highest level. What seems to be the going trend is review bombers are targeting authors of color. And if their book is about important topics or they're speaking out against something that was controversial, people don't seem to like it. And then they go and find their books on Goodreads and bomb them. It's gotten to the point where authors don't really want to speak out for fear that they'll be next to be targeted. And other authors are actually attacking Goodreads for not keeping a closer eye on the reviews people are posting. So far, Goodreads does remove some of the negative reviews if they can tell it's a review bomb. But just as fast as they are taken down, more are popping up in their place. It's a wild place out here, guys. Hide your stories. Hide your manuscripts because they tanking everybody out here. You feel me? (laughs) So, yes. Long story short, authors are still out here doing too much. As you can see with all these stories I got to tell y'all. Reviewers are out here doing too much as well. And honestly, I'm going to be real with y'all from what I've deduced after looking around. Um, I've noticed that a lot of these authors and reviewers and people in the book community that have clearly forgotten how to conduct themselves in public all have something in common one particular thing in common. I'm not gonna say what it is, but y'all smart. So I'm sure you can guess what I'm talking about. I'll leave you to ponder it while we get ready for the story, okay? Okay. This week, I have a story for you called Who Saves the Hero? I tried a little different, tried a little something different. Um, Honestly, what inspired me to write it was Station 19. That show is one of my favorites and it's like one of the few shows that really be having me in my feelings. And like one of the episodes, cause I be binge watching it. Like I don't watch it when it comes out. I just sit and binge it. One of the episodes I was binging in the latest season, um, it really got me thinking and that's where this story came from. So who saves the hero? Let's get into it. Andy was tired. It had been a long day. No, it it had been a long week. The unforgiving heat made each passing minute feel like hours, but she wouldn't dare miss a day. These people depended on her. Some of them wouldn't even get another chance for food if she wasn't out here. That thought is what kept her going on days when it felt like the air was so hot she couldn't breathe. Her blue and black fox braids sat in a messy bun atop her head in an effort to keep her neck cool. The sun beat down on her shoulders and heated her skin as she bent down to grab another bag. The braided bun tilted forward heavily. Andy caught it with one hand and reached for the bag with the other. The sandwich was a little warm, as was the bottle of water next to it. She'd made a mental note to bring a cooler with her to pack the small meals in. Her cold pack bag wasn't doing the trick in this heat. A young woman timidly approached Andy's car. There were obvious needle marks on her skin, and her teeth had begun to rot, and the scabs on her face and arms gave her a haggard appearance. Andy smiled and waved at her. Lily, hi, I haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been hiding? Andy asked. 
offering her a sandwich bag and an extra bottle of water. I got busted a few months ago by an undercover cop. Spent some time in county. You've gained a bit of weight. Did you get clean? Lily smiled sheepishly and shook her head. It, it didn't last. Her admission was no surprise. That was the way it went with a lot of people out on the streets. They had succumbed to drug usage. They would get arrested, be forced to get clean for a while, but would fall right back into it once released. Andy reached out and patted her friend on the shoulder. After they talked for a few minutes, Lily thanked her for the sandwich and water and made her way back in the direction she had come. That was one of Andy's favorite things about being out here, giving small meals to homeless in her community. More often than not, they would be so grateful for being treated like a human being again. Even if she wasn't able to help them all, Andy still took comfort in knowing that she could make someone's day better, even if it was just a few people. Andy had just given out a few more sandwich bags and chatted with two individuals when she looked up to see an elderly man shuffle over to her. His clothes were tattered and worn. Blisters from the sun had begun to form his bare arms. Andy smiled at him and offered him a bag. He reached for it, accidentally brushing his dirty fingers against her hand. A mortified look twisted his sunburnt features. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to touch you, he whispered. His voice was deflated and raspy. Andy shrugged and smiled again. I won't melt, she replied. Much to her shock, the man's eyes welled with tears. As he nodded, the tears slipped down his cheeks, leaving streaks on his skin where the wetness had cleared the dirt. People hate it if I get too close to them. He gestured towards his clothing. You don't want me to get him dirty. Andy studied him for a moment before glancing around. It didn't look like anyone else was coming by anytime soon. The man watched as she closed her, up her containers and placed them in the trunk of the car. Whatever meals she hadn't given away, she would take to the local homeless shelter on her way home. What's your name? She asked the man. Alan, he replied, unwrapping his sandwich and taking a bite. Andy nodded. She closed the trunk and leaned against it, ignoring the way the vehicle burned her skin in the heat. Tell me your story, Alan, she said, swallowing the lump in her throat. He stared at her, his gaze so intense that for a moment Andy thought he could see through her. She worried he could see her true intention. Why? He asked between bites. I don't know. You, you look like you have a story to tell. Andy watched as he flopped down on the sidewalk and looked up at her, gesturing for her to sit next to him. A small line of ants marched down the concrete under his legs. He wore Nike slides with socks covered in holes. Andy recognized those slides. She had given them to him the last time she was out here, when she saw him wandering around with no shoes on his feet. She doubted he remembered. By this point, the drugs had ruined what was left of his mind. I was an EMT and a firefighter for a long time, he said solemnly. Andy remained quiet. I saved a lot of lives. That's a heavy job. Andy tucked her legs under herself and sat down. The ants had marched their way back to their colony by now, leaving the sidewalk under them clear aside from the dirt and grass pushing its way out of the concrete. The sun was setting slowly, making the heat one less degree hot. Andy briefly wondered if Alan had a place to sleep tonight. It's a heavy job. There are calls that stick with you. The longer you do it and the more you end up seeing, the more it starts to weigh on you. Alan absentmindedly ran a finger in the, in the dirt around them. He'd finished his sandwich, and the quiet rumble in his stomach told Andy that it wasn't nearly enough. She wordlessly stood up and grabbed another bag from out of her car and handed it to him. He gave her a grateful smile and tore open the package. My team and I were dispatched to a residence once that had been set on fire. There was a faraway look in his eyes as he spoke. Andy remained quiet, not wanting to interrupt him. When we got there, the house was completely destroyed by the flames. We searched for any survivors and there was a man on the ground outside. 
My team started the process of stabilizing him in the ambulance while the rest of us searched the property. We got to the basement, he gulped. Thick tears fell down his face. When we got to the basement, there were three children handcuffed to the walls. All of them were dead. There was a dirty mattress on the floor in the corner and the sheets had been stuffed under the door. I think they were trying to keep the smoke from coming in. Alan was crying harder now. Tears and snot streamed down his dirty cheeks. Andy's heart clenched as she watched him, unable to find anything to do or say in the moment to help. She never knew what to say in the moment. She reached out and placed a small hand on his bony shoulder. He flinched under her touch and moved away. After an investigation, they discovered that the man who owned the property, the man we had saved, was selling those children. They had been kidnapped from their homes, starved and beaten. Spirits were broken, and they, they died before we could get to them, before we could save them. You did the best you could in the- No! He bellowed, standing to his feet with surprise and agility. No, we didn't. We weren't moving fast enough to get to the call. We lost time. Every second counts. We lost so much time. Little globs of spit flew from his lips as he yelled angrily down at Andy. People passing by across the street glanced in their direction worriedly. Andy remained silent and seated. His yelling did not upset her. She was used to it by now. Those children... He wrapped his arms around himself and bent forward. They died in that place. With that horrible man, they were stuck while we were in traffic. We can't save everyone, Alan. No matter how desperately we want to, Andy said softly. Alan wiped his eyes with the back of his hand and gave Andy a watery smile. What would you know about that little girl, he asked. Andy smiled back and shrugged. I'm just saying, you know, you had a difficult job. You saved a lot of people, and you lost a lot of them too, but I guarantee anyone you talk to would consider you a hero. Not anymore. He motioned towards his tattered clothes and dirty skin. I'm no hero anymore. I'm a bum. A nobody. People avoid eye contact with me when they pass me on the street. You're somebody to me. You're a hero to me, Andy said matter-of-factly. She desperately wanted to reach out and hug him, but after he reacted so negatively to her putting a hand on his shoulder, she figured it would be best not to. It was getting darker out, and she knew eventually her husband would start calling her phone looking for her. Alan stared at her in the dimming light, apprehensive. Why do you even care? he asked, pulling his arms across his thin chest. Why wouldn't I? she countered. The two of them stood there staring at each other in a silent standoff. Alan smelled terrible. Each time Andy took a breath, the pungent odor singed her nose hairs. The smell was so intense she felt like she could taste it, but she didn't dare tell him. Being homeless was humiliating enough. Being out on the street was humiliating enough. She made a mental note to see if she had any bars of soap in her house that she could bring with her next time she came out. Maybe he could slide into one of the nearby gyms and use their showers. I don't need your pity, Alan spat. His expression hardened as he watched her. This isn't pity. Andy stood and folded her arms. A light sheen of sweat coated her skin. This is me being a decent human being. Alan stared at her. His expression was tortured, like he wanted to say something, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. Will you be here tomorrow? He asked, after a moment of silence had passed. Andy nodded. Same time, same place. He paused again, contemplating before shaking his head and stalking off in the distance. Andy watched him for a moment, sadness clutching her heart. With a sigh, she closed her trunk again and climbed in the front seat of her car. Soft buzzing made her look down at her phone in the cup holder next to her. 
It was her husband. Hey, babe, she smiled, trying to sound cheerful. You saw him, didn't you? He asked, not bothering to return the greeting. He could hear it in her voice, even when she tried to disguise it. <sighs> yes, he looked so much worse than before. So much thinner, she whispered. Tears pricked at the corner of her eyes. She glanced in the rearview mirror, and she could still see her father walking in the distance. She desperately wanted to chase after him, to hug him, and to beg him to come back home. Her sisters and her mother still needed him. She still needed him. They often asked Andy to check on him because none of them could stomach seeing him in that condition. After years of firefighting and working as an EMT, Alan, her father, had seen so much death and destruction that it started to chip away at his mental health. An injury on the job started him on painkillers and it was a downward spiral from there. No one had known just how bad things were until one day when he got up in the middle of the night and left his family forever. It had taken Andy months to be able to locate him. She'd almost given up when she spotted him on the street. He no longer remembered his family. All he could focus on was the insurmountable guilt and pain that plagued him constantly. That's the thing about certain jobs. TV shows glamorize them. They put attractive actors in the fake uniforms and have them act out the trauma that these people face daily. The pain, the turmoil. And when they go home at the end of the day, completely free of the mental load that comes with these professions. The compassion fatigue. The crushing heartbreak of watching an innocent person die in front of you. The inner conflict of still having to save the perpetrator because you took an oath. If you're not careful, it can break you and then spit you back out on the street. As Andy watched her father's figure get smaller and smaller as he increased the distance between them, she knew she would have to accept the fact that the man she had known, the one that had tucked her in at night and turned on the lights in his fire truck for her when she was little, was gone. Heroes spend their entire lives saving others, but when it comes down to it, who saves them? And that is all we have time for on today. You know, side note, I hate when people say on today because like, I feel like it's redundant. I, I can't explain it. It just sounds stupid. But anyway, <laughs> so what do you guys think? Let me know. Head over to my blog at www.thebookybabe.com and poke around a little bit. You know, like I said, tell a friend to tell a friend. Read some stuff, write some stuff. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. Send it to all your besties, your buddies, and people you don't even like. Send it to everybody. Follow, like, or leave a message at Lawrence Library Podcast on Instagram. It's all one word. Or you can find me on my other Instagram page, which is the bookie babe underscore. And that's where I post like detailed reviews. And that's also my name on TikTok. But bear with me. TikTok is still a lawless place. I'm still a little, I'm still a little new doing my best <laughs> but you know all the all the transitions give me whiplash it is what it is but anyway i said all that to say if you want to say hello there are multiple ways to contact me take your pick but one way or another i will talk to you soon thank you so much for listening bye guys